Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Okay, the room tone has been received. Time for a little sound. Checky, check, check. But after all is said and done, you're gonna be the lonely one. Ooh, do you ride and leave in life after love? All right, sound sounds pretty good to me. Here we go. Three, two, one. We're back. We sitting here. I'm supposed to be the franchise player. We in here talking about practice. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Rebound box. Back out to Allen. History bottle. Back. Gives it to Jenkins for the championship. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Bases loaded. Two out. We're back, baby. It's the Charity Stripe. Hit your free throws because they free. Sewed 131 coming hot at you guys. Then sewed 130. And APU, as per usual, I am flanked on my left and on my right by offensive and defensive coordinators Alex Tosmanaroktisopoulos and Nikki Snacks Kreider. But we also have a special guest in the building, former Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, first-team All-American, third in Heisman voting in 1997, and former second overall pick in the NFL Draft in 1998. The Charity Stripe team welcomes to the show Ryan Leaf. Were you, were you interview alive in 1997? Uh, we, all of us were alive. All right. <laughs> how, how old were you, though? I was three. Okay. See. I, I was, was three. Two. Yeah. I was, well, I was three, two. You were, I, I was like, yeah, I was almost four, actually. I was 97? Like, you were born I, 94? Oh, 97, yeah. I'm, I'm a sports podcaster, not a mathematician, baby. <laughs> and you all went to Texas, right? We did all go to Texas. So that's, that's the math part. I get it. <laughs> oh, wow. A little bad blood <laughs> <laughs> coming out. So for the fans out there, you guys know how we do. We do four down territory for all our football guests. So we're going to give Ryan four questions, the last question being his favorite sports memory. So look forward to that. But before we get into it, we are brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network in los angeles quick question for you guys out there do you believe 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 all right so let's get on into it guys question number one at your ryan 
The NFL draft is coming up. The combine is this weekend. There are a flurry of teams, the Dolphins, the Redskins, the Jaguars, the Giants, even the Raiders and the Cardinals have been rumored to be going after quarterbacks in this draft class. Right now, Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray, the top two guys. Between them, who do you like? And is there a third guy? Right now we have Drew Locke and Daniel Jones in the mix, but is there someone that nobody's talking about that you really love in this draft class? Well, I mean, if you're going to go off history of of what – what uh, Cutcliffe has done with quarterbacks, right? I mean, mm. you'd look into Daniel Jones when you watch him. He looks very eerily similar to what Peyton Manning and, and Eli Manning look like behind center and how they go about things. So that would be somebody that I would take a good look at, and there's a possibility he could be a first-round draft pick. But inevitably, I think that what's going to happen, regardless of what anybody else says, Kyler Murray is going to be the first pick in the NFL draft. First overall. Yeah, first overall pick wow. uh, by, by far. Um the people I've talked to, too, this is very similar to what happened a year ago when when they first was announced. Until he even announced that he was going to do this, um, play football, it wasn't a, a situation where people thought he would be a high draft pick. They may, may have thought he may have sneaked into the first round like Lamar Jackson did mm-hmm. a year ago, but not this. Cliff Kingsbury, if they're going to do this thing the right way to fit his offense and his style, what he wants to, with the struggles of that football team, you have to find a way to probably – Get rid of Josh Rosen, which I think could be a, a, a an interesting trade to the Giants. They would get ultimately the quarterback they wanted to get a year ago and Saquon Barkley, who they ended up choosing, and things could be going in a different direction there. But I think Kyler Murray is going to be the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals under Cliff Kingsbury in his first year. Wow. So what do you what, what would you give up if you're the Giants? Like what's the move right there? Do you give up a first and that's it? Like the, just the sixth overall pick for him and then call it a one for one kind of deal? I think so, probably, but there may be some negotiating there. There may be uh, some other player. I would, I would look if I were the Cardinals to look to try to maybe get a solid defensive player uh, as well in, in in return, just because of they're in rebuilding phase, right? I mean, Josh Rosen, I think, is a pretty darn good quarterback. I just think he had no one around him last year, and you saw none of it. But then you bring in a new coach with a completely different scheme and different system, and you expect him to be this quarterback, you know that. That doesn't fit that way. You need to be in the right place at the right time and understand that. So I have a, I have a suspicion that's the way it's going to play out, and I don't see why it wouldn't. And Cliff, Cliff did go on the record saying that before he even became the Arizona Cardinals head in coach. In October. That, in October that he would take Carla Murray number one overall if he had that number one pick, and now he does. Mm-hmm. So Well, yeah. that, that's also a coach doing that when you're about to play a guy right, right. you know as a head coach there there's no there's no way he had this plan out he's like you know no, this no. is my plan right my plan is to get fired at Texas Tech um whatever i can do <laughs> to get fired and then through all of the shenanigans that go on i will leak it that i had breakfast one morning with Sean McVay and in turn i will become the new head coach for the Arizona Cardinals which has the first pick which allows me to take kyler murray so this was this was orchestrated a long time ago by cliff kingsbury <laughs> and, and in the process get hired by usc well that that was that that for him was fun he just had some fun with that one just to to play it out but uh yeah we, we were actually talking about i mean you know the news once cliff was uh brought to the to the cardinals and and you know they were talking about kyler murray it was kind of like the fun thing to say, maybe he will take Kyler Murray. And, and now I think it's become a potential reality, which is really interesting. It's how it's happened over the last three years when it's come to the NFL draft. You look at people talking about Patrick Mahomes. When when he declared for the draft and things were going on into it, he signed with Lee Steinberg. He was probably a late second round, maybe a third round draft grade. He was definitely uh, way behind Watson. 
There was way. no whip. There was no question that they were going to take Watson ahead of him. And we saw some things he did with his arm. I was at the combine mentoring the young quarterbacks, and that was my group: Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, all those guys. And you saw those three kind of just kind of become leaders out of a group full of leaders. Nathan mm-hmm. Peterman, uh, who I thought had one of the best combines you can imagine. So that's why people were up on Nathan Peterman. He just he was fundamentally sound. He did the right thing. He just isn't he isn't a great great. Uh, game game he's a, player, he's great a game performer, and uh, but Patrick Mahomes could throw the football, and and people were starting to see that stuff. And all of a sudden, come draft day, a team felt so comfortable with him they moved all the way up to ten in the draft, the Kansas City Chiefs, and selected him, and also sat him for a year, which was, I mean, pretty pretty darn amazing. Then he comes out this year and throws fifty touchdown passes. So we saw it two years ago, a year ago, Baker Mayfield. Everybody I talked to leading up to the draft did not have him with a first-round draft grade. Not a team. And all of a sudden, John Dorsey and the Cleveland Browns are enamored by him. And all you need is one. And they were the one with the first pick. And they loved him. And they made a choice. And it's worked out pretty darn good. My biggest worry about that was going to be how many games did Hugh Jackson have to win to hold his job? Because he was going to have to get a new offensive coordinator. If they don't hire Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach this year, he's going to be on his third offensive coordinator within two years. And that's going to be difficult to come. So them keeping the continuity by hiring Freddie Kitchens is huge. This year, it's fallen right into place again for the opportunity where the NFL game is shifting. And it's about this kind of offense, an air raid style offense. And Cliff Kingsbury is the new flavor of the month. And the flavor of the month has an opportunity to take the best quarterback in the draft, and that's Kyler Murray. Okay, so let me ask you a couple quick questions off of that. What do you think about Dwayne Haskins? Where's his best fit? Because I, I'm with you. I, I, we love Kyler Murray, and it's the same thing with Baker Mayfield. We watch these guys play in and play out, you know, as Texas fans. We see them literally live go against us. You know what I'm saying? And uh, you bring up a great point. They have to bring in Kitchens. It's almost a similar situation that the Bucks fell into with Dirk Cotter. They either lose Dirk Cotter to another team and lose the continuity they have with Jameis Winston, or they fire Lovey Smith and bring in Dirk Cotter. So it's kind of a situation like that. So I could get behind it. I just hope it pans hands out better than it did for Winston and Cotter, you know, because that just didn't, there's a lot of off the field stuff that really put a hindrance on that. And you can't have that as a quarterback in the locker room. There's a takes a lot of things that line up to make a great quarterback in this league. You know, you have to, and the funny thing is if you perform, it doesn't matter if you're kind of an asshole, you know, it just, it doesn't. Uh, People in Cleveland are getting a kick out of Baker Mayfield, right? But if he's not performing, they're not going to, the magnifying glass is going to be a lot stronger. Not people aren't going to be as, think it's as cute and how he responds and how he maybe treated Hugh Jackson and things. I mean, those things, you know, if you're not playing well, can be detriments. Wouldn't you rather have all the things go your way, regardless? I mean, be a good guy, you know, do the right thing and play well. Or do you want that kind of, that swagger? And in Cleveland, that may be what it needs to, to turn things around. I think Kyler Murray has that similar swagger. I think Lincoln Riley hones that with, with young individuals. You talked about Dwayne Haskins when we first started and and uh, I, he's my favorite. I love him. I think he's pretty darn pretty darn good. I I spoke to the idea of the Giants needing to find a way to get him. Now, what the NFL's done recently and uh which's been powerful for teams to do is to 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 make not miss on quarterbacks. And even if they they feel like they don't quite know if he's the franchise guy, they're good enough 
to get him to a place, especially on a rookie contract, to go out and, and fill in other pieces around your team. You look at Dak Prescott in the playoffs this year, Mitchell Trubisky in the playoffs, Jared Goff, all those guys on rookie contract, Patrick Mahomes, all on rookie contracts. You're allowed to go out and fill in the pieces around your team. And then, because, hey, you know, Jared Goff and what we saw, maybe it exposed him a little bit in that Super Bowl. Maybe he has another year or another two. They don't pick up his fifth-year option. They go back to the draft, you know, because of, of Sean McVay. We don't know, but if you don't have to go out and, and mortgage your, your franchise on, on a quarterback who takes up all the money where you don't have enough to go out because of the cap and fill in the needs, yeah, you have a franchise quarterback. But we looked at it this year, you know, Tom Brady was one of the – he wasn't one of the top – five paid quarterbacks he he negotiates his contract every year so they can fill those voids they need because he knows he gets what's guaranteed and then that's that yeah and he knows what's important he knows winning is more important than this long ass contract that gets him paid for overtime because he just is the best there is at doing all this stuff so that is the way so if the giants have a way to do it they need to get a, a rookie contract a, a rookie quarterback in there on a rookie contract if they can get it through josh rosen still on that contract in a trade okay but if not, they have to find a way to move up and make sure they get Dwayne Haskins. Mm-hmm. However that however that works, right? They, they trade up to, to get in a place where they draft him, and then they ultimately get what they needed a year ago, plus they get Saquon Barkley, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I mean, I you're right. I mean, gone are the days like Sam Bradford where he has that ridiculous contract, that rookie contract that just it can tear Mine. the team down. Mine tore the team down. My contract... I didn't. I didn't perform. I wasn't good enough for the Chargers, and it cost them for years. It's a big signing. Well, you had a, you had a bigger signing bonus than Peyton, like eleven point two five. If I don't mind me saying. for for <laughs> for a couple days. For a couple of days, and then he then he signed eleven point five zero. I think. Yeah. So it wasn't. I mean, it was like two hundred fifty thousand dollars difference. Uh, people considered us, you know, pick one and one at you know one A and one B. Yeah. So they traded. They traded up to get you. Yeah, and that's uh, uh, you know you, you if you missed on a quarterback. Back in those days with the no cap on the salaries for rookies, your team could be underwater for a long time. You can miss on a quarterback right now. We've seen the Cleveland Browns miss continuously year in, year out, I mean, right? You go to 2011, the, the Titans miss on Locker, the Jaguars miss on Gabbert, and the Bills miss on EJ Manuel in 2013. Ponder, you know, as well, is missed on. I mean, you can miss on guys. You can miss on guys and, and turn around and draft. I mean, they the Browns drafted Deshaun Kaiser. A year in the ago, second, yeah. yeah, in the second round. Then the, in the next year, drafted Baker Mayfield after trade him. So you can miss on a guy early now because of the rookie contract uh, salary cap, and your franchise doesn't suffer like it used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. But I'll go back to Daniel Jones for a quick second. Um, admittedly, and I could totally be wrong. I've been wrong before, and I'll be the first to admit when I'm wrong. But I'm not super high on him just from a production standpoint. I look what Trubisky did in that conference, and I would be I would go as far as to say that the ACC is nowhere near the Big Twelve, the SEC, and the Big Ten. And when Trubisky was taken, you still had Darnold playing in the Pac-12, so he wouldn't have been the best quarterback there. I think the ACC is the easiest place to dominate from that kind of standpoint. And Trubisky's numbers were off the charts good. His completion percentage was ridiculous, nearing 70. You know, he threw two picks, I think like 28 touchdowns, where Jones is sitting there with like a 61 completion percentage, like 22 touchdowns, nine picks. I mean, no, we have the whole Cutcliffe thing, but in the size, but does that production scare you a I don't. Bit? I don't look at anything anybody does when it comes to numbers, ever. Really? No, I look at, I look at what their yards per attempt are. That's the only number I really look at in terms of what they do. I think the completion percentage is silly in college uh, because it's, it's a completely different world when – Teams are bringing different kind of pressure and stuff like that. I look at what your, uh, you know, the history, your work ethic, the things you do, the size, your ability to deal with pressure, uh, and 
also I look at the the team he played for, right? He played for the Duke Blue Devils, right? It's just it's it's a different team in football, and they've been very successful to win there. To be successful as they have been under Daniel Jones, I think is says something a lot about him. So I I, I think that you you can't uh, you can't uh, set aside any of those other things. And and for me, statistics wise, I didn't think Mitchell Trubisky was overly uh, you know explosive or anything like that. And we haven't seen anything in the last two years. We, what we found out about Mitchell is that he's a leader, and his players will follow him through anything. It's very Alex Smith esque, and that's okay. Oh yeah, and oh, that's okay. Yeah. Which the playoffs, you, so, can, you can you can win with a defense like that. If man. you put a defense together like that, yes. And uh, so they're doing the right things, and they're winning with rookie con- rookie quarterbacks on their rookie contracts, and that's that's huge because they were able to go out and trade for Cleo Mack and give him the big contract. If 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 those if those um, contracts exist existed like they did years ago, Mitchell Trubisky, a second pick in the NFL draft, that contract would have been astronomical. I don't know if they would have had the cap value or the money to go and do that trade and sign Khalil Mack. It, just wouldn't, it wouldn't have existed. Because so. you're paying Trevathan, you're paying Rokon Smith then, who's also not on a rookie-scale contract at linebacker. Then you're going to have to pay like guys like Adrian Amos. You have to pay Charles Leno Jr., your left tackle. You have to pay Allen Robinson. You have to pay everybody. You know what I'm saying? The two running backs there, so you can't do that. Well, you look what the Rams did this year, right? I mean, the fact that they had Jared Goff on their rookie contract, they were able to go and kind of, kind of mortgage that defense oh, and yeah. buy a defense over the, over the summer. It's crazy. They set a precedent by paying a rook, uh, a running back as much as they did, which I think was a, a terrible mistake because I just I don't think there's a value in a running back like that when it comes down to it. And so, we saw so in the, you, the, the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl where he was just non-existent, right? He's tired. He's gassed. He's getting pounded the entire season. And that's why C.J. Anderson was so good. He's coming out on fresh legs. And Sony Michelle, uh, on your end of things, as a rookie, you know, they don't – the Patriots don't draft a running back in the first round that often. They got him late in the first round, but he's still a first-round pick, and he was very good for them late in the year. That was the, this is the first running back for them that that I guess has star value in comparison to running back by committee that they've won a Super Bowl in, mm-hmm. which is different because I think you can win a Super Bowl in this league year in year out by running back by committee. What you need is a franchise quarterback, and you need a defensive front that can put pressure on the quarterback those are the two things you need to succeed in this league to win a championship and I mean even though Sony Michelle is a star caliber running back they use him in, in the committee with Burkhead getting almost as many touches as him as him in the Super Bowl so like it's just the Belichick plan working out and I think he really has it down to his science he does he does and and maybe you know maybe it was the 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 platooning of Gurley and Anderson that he just wasn't in it, he got overwhelmed. He thought, "Why am I not the guy?" And no one's really talked about it and stuff like that. I mean, that could be something when you're used to being the man, and now you aren't. In fact, the guy that came in who's who's getting more carries than you and playing a hell of a lot more than you wasn't even on the roster when you were doing all the things you needed to during the year. That's got to be, you know, terribly <laughs> insulting to the psyche. And we know, we know, elite athletes' um, psyches are are really vulnerable and fragile. Oh, they have to be. They have to be. I mean, going from I mean, Nate spoke about it. Nate does the whole MVP thing. I'm sure you've spoken to him about it too. You guys are tight. And it's just all of a sudden what happens when you're done. And that's why you see guys blow through money. You see guys feel lost out there. And they you know, they, they long for things because you're on top of the world for two seconds. And the next thing you know, it's even if, if you're benched. A guy who's benched, it can, it can mess with your head a little bit. Totally. You just – I'm part of MVP. Um, you know, it's, it's every Wednesday night. Nate and I have been – We checked it out. It was amazing. Yeah, it's pretty special, and um, we just 
we both don't combat vets and, and professional athletes. We don't know. We're, we don't believe we're ever going to do anything as important again. That's the biggest thing. When that uniform comes off, you have to find a different purpose, like a purpose in your life. Otherwise, you're just going to continue to chase this this identity that no longer exists. And and I think that's why Nate and I get along so well. It's just we 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 can relate to one another so so vividly and and we are both just about service and trying to help people and and it's a perfect opportunity for that so yeah it's really difficult to transition um especially when you're an athlete and you that that pedestal is so high right mm-hmm. you know and, and the nfl doesn't care the nfl I don't, I don't know i'm not an athlete but i could I, well, I could tell i mean i'm sure like listen we know your story you're from montana a young kid from montana i mean yeah. you know it's like i'm the only i'm the only montana that's ever been drafted in the first round of the nfl draft there's there's wow. more first round draft picks in the manning family than the whole state of Montana ever. Yeah. So it's it's there's no trailblazer there's there. There's three of them. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And there's only, <laughs> only three of them. Yes. It would have been four, honestly. Um, so that's great stuff. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see. I hope I hope Deion Jones does well. I hope you always root for these guys. You know what I'm saying? I root for your kid Gardner too. I loved him. He had a fantastic year. What a what an amazing. No one saw that coming. I we pegged Washington State at the bottom. I picked him four and eight. And I got a lot of hell for it, too. So, yeah. <laughs> Good, pleasant surprise. So we'll kick it off with second down. Nikki. if you want to give him your question, my man. Yeah, okay. So uh, you spearhead the Chargers podcast on the Believe Network as well. So we wanted to ask you, um, so the Chargers, you know, they finally got back to the playoffs. Phil Rivers had one of his best seasons he's ever had in his career. Got knocked out in the divisional round by the Super Bowl champion, the New England Patriots. Um, but we want to know what, what going forward can they do to add to what they have right now to get to that Super Bowl run that they need to make that they've been longing for the entire franchise? Well, they need to stay healthy. That's been a big bugaboo for them for a while, right? Melvin Gordon went down a little bit. Um, they lost some some linebackers, Denzel Perryman. Yeah, Bose, uh, Bosa went out. He, he didn't play until like week 10, I think, yep. or something like that. So they have to stay healthy. They also are going to need to go get younger at quarterback. They're going to have to go find a guy to replace Phillip Rivers at some point. And because Philip can't continue to do this, you're in, you're in a conference that is Patrick Mahomes, right? And you know what? And John Gruden's coming with Oakland, right? Oh, he's got three first round picks. Yeah, he's man. coming. He's coming, and that there's there's going to be everything's going to have to go through Kansas City in the West. But the Los Angeles Chargers right now at the moment have a ton of talent. They've been there. The problem is is they had the second best record in the NFL, and they lost a tiebreaker to a team they beat in Kansas City. Therefore, they have to go on the road twice in a wild card in a divisional round to try to get to uh, an AFC championship. I mean, you just can't do that. I mean, you can't go to Foxborough and expect to win uh, going three time zones over after you went three time zones over a week ago. Baltimore. So it, it is what it is. They need to get younger at quarterback. They need to stay healthy. Um, I, I don't believe that the city is going to you know respond to them unless they probably get to the Super Bowl, which is, which is ironic because that's what the Rams did this year. It's just it's it's a weird continuity thing here in Los Angeles. It's like the the old saying: if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it does it actually happen right. or exist? And that's kind of yeah. what the LA Chargers are right now. I so, mean, I'm I'm sitting here wearing a Ram sweatshirt, but I can say admittedly that that's like that's a shame that that's the case because the Chargers were so talented. I mean, Nick and I went to the Chargers Rams game early in the season, and that was when the Rams were as hot as they were in the season, and, and they won. But just watching what you know, what Melvin Gordon can do, like that guy's a stud. They didn't lose a game outside of Los Angeles except to the Patriots. That's mm-hmm. the only game they lost outside yeah. of Los Angeles last year. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's you bring it up like the travel going into Baltimore. I don't care who's a rookie quarterback. You're playing Harbaugh and you're playing in Baltimore. And you're playing that defense. And as a Patriots fan, my least favorite team in football, not the Jets. All right, not the Colts. My least favorite team in football is the Baltimore Ravens because he will always prepare and he will always play you well. And that is a brutal place to play. And to go in there and win, that to go to Foxborough. Even if they win in Foxborough, then you have to go to Arrowhead. It's like a hell on earth. Like as good as the NFC is, and they probably had a deeper. You know, NFC was deeper and maybe had better teams. The, the places you have to play in the AFC are hell. I remember in 2000, 2000 it was the year that the Ravens won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Big upset. Um, over the Giants, mm. and we that team that year was just uh, unbelievable. Defensively, they were just just crazy, and we had to go out to Baltimore and play. And I remember it was I had never seen a defense like that. I think we lost like twenty four to three, and they were they were in my face on three step drops. They were um, great defensively in the backfield. Rod Woodson was at safety. Ray Lewis was at the middle linebacker position. Um, was playing he, him hell. You know, it, it, it was. People, a lot of people think he talked a lot. He didn't talk a lot. He he talked to his teammates because they were. He was he was like a quarterback out there. You know, he wasn't talking shit, right? He was he was talking to his teammates and putting everybody in the right position to win. That's what he did. And then after the play, he might chop it up a little bit. He'd bark at you a lot. I don't ever quite understand that, but uh, it could get kind of intimidating if you you just got this large man just barking at you in front of you. I'm just like, what? Is what? That? Does he speak English? Do you think, or is this just how it works? But yeah, it uh, it was a pretty pretty. I understand that completely. What it's like in Baltimore and, and the fear you have as a New England Patriot fan for sure. Yeah. So backtracking a little bit, who do you think the Chargers need to add in the draft with their twenty eighth overall pick? Uh, I think they probably need to bolster their their receiving core even more. I just think that Mike Williams went down with an injury a year ago. Keenan Allen's been beat up a little bit, so. I do. I think they, if they can find a guy at, at receiver there, defensively for them, they were pretty darn good. They may lose out on some guys. Yeah, Adrian Phillips might walk. Yeah, so if that's the case, if things like that happen, then their, refo- their focus might have to go to that defensive side of things. Right. But I also think if they can, you know, I, I think for them, maybe in the third round, uh, Gardner Minshew would be a solid, solid pick mm-hmm. nice. for them to learn and maybe, I just can imagine, Gardner Minshew and, and Pat Mahomes over the next 10 years in the AFC West going at each other would Wouldn't be kind mind of that at all. interesting. I, I interesting just don't concept. know what's necessarily wrong with him. Gardner's not as big as the other guys, maybe, and that could be it. You don't have the sample size. You know, he plays in like a very pass happy offense, which hurt Luke Falk, but like he had a great year and he came out of nowhere. And I think that hurts people too. Like you see it in like recruiting. Well, people you know? ask why. Well, why, why didn't we see this before? You know, he was at four different stops. Mm-hmm. We won a national championship at junior college. Yeah. You know, they have a whole Netflix show about those damn junior college teams down in Mississippi. He won a national Last championship there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when he walked on campus, he just was a different player. He was a different player in Mike Leach's system. He could go under center. He could move around the pocket and throw the ball. Uh, his arm strength isn't like Patrick Mahomes, but they're similar in how they play in this air raid offense. It's not as, as, as focused in on just throwing the football uh, down after down. It's if you get in trouble and you have to move and make a play with your feet, that's a different dynamic at quarterback for Washington State in Mike Leach's offenses. So I think he'd fit in well in the NFL and the changing uh, schemes of things. That you're seeing more of that, more movement for the quarterback, more RPO stuff. Um, Washington State this year is going to do the same thing, right? They're they're they just 
brought in a grad transfer from Eastern Washington, Gage Gubrud, who was a definite dual threat quarterback. So, I mean, this would be new range for Mike Leach's offense. He's always had a drop back, set alone pocket passer, Graham Harrell, Cliff Kingsbury, all those guys that just sat in the pocket and threw the ball. Instead, now he's got a guy who probably can move around to. This will maybe, the hybrid maybe start to look more and more like Oklahoma's Lincoln Riley, where he's had a quarterback be able to move around the pocket. This is a scary. It is that is the scariest offense I think I've seen in college football ever. Maybe other than like Tebow, you know, with Percy and like Aaron Hernandez. That that team was. You You're know, talking about OU. Yeah, that they, the way he, what he runs down there, and then they just bring in Hurts. I mean, like it's year in and year out. It does not matter. He it's plug and play. But I think Gardner, he's a smart guy. He's clearly shown that he can go and adapt to. There's no way Leach's system's easy. You it know? is easy. Yes, it is. Yeah, is it okay? Yeah, it's really quarterback friendly. There's ten plays. You have to learn ten plays. So there you go. Thing about it is, though, is 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 what you can do when you get forced to go out and do it and do the right thing because every pass play has five different options. Mm -hmm. So you might have ten pass plays, but you have fifty different options with those pass plays. Mm -hmm. You just have to be able to go through your progression, and you don't have to read coverage. All you got to know whether it's too high or one high. You know, Mm -hmm. that's that's the only thing you do, and then you go through your progression through your reads, and you don't ever bypass an open receiver because in the first quarter he may be open here. The running back may be open here. They start to jump it. The next guy, the next guy. By the fourth quarter, you're getting to the backside post dig, and they're opening up big for you. That's that's his whole theory, and he does it in repetition, repetition, repetition. It's not a very difficult offense. I mean, look at him. He's got a little cue card about this size that has all his plays on it. And people are like, well, he just that, – that can't – that can't be all his plays. No, that's his, all his plays. It's not like it's not like Sean Payton with you know he's got a, like a, a combustible or a, a compartmentalized like thing that shifts and turns and flops it open to see what plays he's calling. Sean Payton will call twenty five percent of the plays on his play sheet in a game. Twenty five percent. So seventy five percent of the plays he has and has his teams worrying about all week long, he will not even call in the game. That's, a, that's that for me is like, you know, you know. <laughs> You know, Drew Brees is just sitting there going, "Why am I learning all? Why am I learning all these plays all week, and knowing that he's not going to call three quarters of them?" Is that hell for you as a quarterback? No, you just you just you learn the offense. So, but it's just it's funny from an outsider watching it go down. And you're just like, "Look at that play sheet." I mean, you could see it from the moon almost. You know, type of mentality, and he he's not going to call seventy five percent of it on there. I mean, I have the opinion that I feel like Drew is kind of like he loves it, though. Oh, Drew does. Where he's like, oh, oh more plays? Great. Give him to Drew's, me, Sean. <laughs> Drew's the guy that Graham Harrell talked about last week where he, when he was in Green Bay and like John Gruden's offense where it, where it literally is a paragraph of the play call. You know, where Leach is like, let's call that uh, play Trojan. And it tells every, every receiver what they're doing. John Gruden, uh, or probably Sean Payton, will call every person's responsibility in the route. And that's the play call, and it's a paragraph long. And Graham Harrell's like, "Why don't we just? We're just going to call that Trojan. How about that, Coach?" And Gruden looks at him, or, or somebody looks at him, like, "You're you're not my guy. You're not my guy." <laughs> <laughs> What's the biggest mouthful play call that you've ever had to call? Do you remember? Oh yeah, it was uh, um, right before I left Tampa when Gruden was there. It was it was definitely that. I mean, he would scream and scream at Chris Sims, and we just would laugh. But it was, it was hell, because it was it was so funny. By the time he finished calling the play in your ear, you had forgotten what like the first the way it started and what yeah. the formation was. So, it, it was really difficult. I I try to think of some of them. I mean, we had some wordy ones in college. I think, you know, anytime you put motion in, uh, you add to that. Then you, especially if you call two plays, 
Like if you call two plays in the huddle, then you know if you're going to kill one or the other, which they're doing a lot now, then it can get long. So it, it's beneficial to to shorten pass plays. Like call something something. Like we went, uh, you know, we went sp- spread right five ninety three BB Hall. That was a, a pass play, and with the spread, we could motion somebody back in and, and run from that. So that's that's not very long. That's pretty easy. Uh, we we come up with some funny ones when they did the signals and stuff like that. You know, this was our signal for naked. When we, would, when we run bootleg without a protector and stuff curves, like that, curves, yeah, yeah. curves up there, it's hilarious. Yeah, so that was that would have been very hard to 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 steal signs from the other side. I think I, I think if you were an opponent, you were looking like, watch the boot, watch the boot. <laughs> so if the Chargers are taking a receiver in the first, and I I don't even know how it's breaking down right now because there's, everyone's saying DK is going to go for the, be the first receiver off the board, but I'm looking at the drops. I'm looking at the workout warrior type thing. He's like a big dude, and you know what I'm saying. It, He's it like, scares a lot of it, teams. I it think, does scare it. Have a lot of... because it's not that AJ Green, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, slick Rick look good in a tuxedo kind of thing. It's this guy is a big man, and and he's not. A, but he's not a tight end. He's not going to block like Gronkowski. You know, he can't line him. He up reminds there. me of David Boston a little bit. Coming out of college, former Charger, you know, and yeah, uh, yeah. so I don't mind seeing that. We got a couple great ones in the in the draft this year. Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State is a huge Josh, dude Josh too. Loves. So I think he's amazing. Yeah, he, him and him to the Chargers late uh, is somebody I've been I've been thinking about uh, if they do go offense uh, wide receiver side. Um, I just think this draft class is so deep on receivers that you could wait to the second or third you, round. You could get LJ in the fourth, dude. And I'm telling you, little Jordan Humphrey, aside from the fact that he has the coolest name in sports history, is is, is a beast. Is that a Texas guy? Yes, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yards, uh, but you know, I'm not. I will. We are not biased. I'm okay. not biased in the show. Yeah, I really I mean, wouldn't. Do you guys know? Do you guys know the last time that Washington State played Texas? I don't. I don't know. Not the time. We probably should have looked. It was up. Vince. It was Vince Young's freshman year, and it was in the Holiday Bowl against Washington State. It's like oh three oh four. It would have been, yeah, right around there. And uh, my little cousin was the starting quarterback for Washington State. And you guys had Cedric Benson and Mike Williams. Yeah, we had a team. Dude. Yeah, and you guys got whooped. So. <laughs> Thanks for that. Our defense just dominated. I don't know. Other than the Texas people, everyone comes in with so much like gung ho hate on Texas. Well, it's not gung ho hate. I just think that you know. No, if Washington State had their own network, I think we, you know, we we we'd look more eye to eye with one another. But we're just kind of like, you know, eleven and two this year, and just nowhere near the hype that we got. Yeah, we played Georgia. Yeah, we played. We went. Yeah, we went to the Sugar Bowl. <laughs> we, played, we played Iowa State yeah. in the Alamo Bowl. Yeah, you know. So yeah, it's just there's just some there's just some resentment. And there you guys was... are some bad weather away from winning the Pac-12 or going at least no. to the Pac-12 championship. You don't no. think so? No, that weather didn't. It may have impacted it a little bit, but. They need to figure out a way to beat Washington. They can't. I mean, if that game was look at the first play of the game, Taylor Rapp was right in the spot that Gardner was He's throwing good to. Too. Was right in the spot where he was supposed to throw it. That the weather may have impacted some. Mm. It it wasn't going to impact the outcome of the game. Mm. They need. They've lost six years in a row. They'll never. They'll never play in a Pac-12 championship because everything that's going to go through the Pac-12 North for the foreseeable future is Washington and Chris Peterson. They have to figure out a way to beat them. That's he, he huge. is a sick coach, man. He can really, and he's got a good quarterback coming in next year. Eason's good, dude. Well, I, we, yeah, he's big, and dude got beat out. You know, look at, I mean, talk about quarterbacks. Jake Fromm down at Georgia. Yeah, he's he, beat out Jacob Eason and Justin Fields and Justin Fields, two five star guys. How about it? You know, so 
you get beat out. You know, you've got to go somewhere else. Um, he sat a year. He learned, you know, I think it's going to be a step up from Jake Browning. Though Jake was, Jake's the all-time winningest quarterback ever in the Pac-12. You know, so. <laughs> he went to the playoffs. Went to the playoffs. Went to a Rose Bowl. Yeah. Played another New Year's Six game. Those are three of his four years at Washington. That's his, he won none of them. And that's the biggest thing. The Pac-12 wins none of them when it comes to non-conference games. And that's that's huge. But I, I do believe that, that Jacob Eason is going to be a difference. I think that Oregon's going to be at the cream be the cream of the crop with Justin Herbert at quarterback. But you Pac- like you really like him? I do. He's dude, if he was at the combine right now like he was supposed to be when measurables happen tomorrow, oh my it, it the way the way the scouts cream themselves over measurements and like hand size and <laughs> and all this stuff. Justin Herbert's going to be that guy for everybody. It's just going to be scouts and coaches up in the booth just like, oh, uh, oh, look at that. Look at that Herbert guy. You know, it's it's going to be that. He'll throw it 70 yards like Josh Allen. And, and you're like, wow, did you see Josh Allen throw that ball almost 80 yards? And I'm like, yeah, against like nobody and uh, with nobody in his face. And yeah, that was cool, man. But why is he not there? But then, but then that goes to me. Like, why are you not there? Like, you're going to be the first overall pick. Like, Locker was going to be the first overall pick. Leinert's going to be the first overall pick. Matt, and those guys still went in the first round. Matt Barkley's going to be the first overall pick. Dude drops to the fourth round. Not saying it's going to happen with Herbert because he does have all these intangibles, and I'm sure he's going to play fantastically, and the Pac-12 is a more winnable conference now. But, like, why? Well, I think he's got a really good head on his shoulders, and he's got perspective, and he understands that football is fleeting and it could last two years. But he grew up in the shadow of Austin Stadium in Eugene. No one wanted him. He got a call late from even his hometown school, Oregon. He is the starting quarterback for the Oregon Ducks. It's special. His brother is going to be a freshman next year at H-back and tight end. That, for me, is more about anything. And you think about losing stuff. He's going to go out and sign a Lords of London insurance policy. That's going to be – the premium is going to be probably – you know, pretty expensive, but it's going to be worthwhile because if anything ever does happen, he's going to get paid uh, the equivalent of what he would be as a... So that that's not an issue for him. A lot of people aren't worried about that stuff anymore. He has a different point of view on what he wants to do, and I commend him on that. I think it's pretty cool. I, 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 said, yet, I said on my radio show that when he didn't play or when he got hurt in the Oregon State game, in the final game of the year, I said, Oregon fans, wave goodbye. He's not going to play in the bowl game. And, you know, he's going to go into the NFL draft. Not only did he show up, put out a statement that he's going to stay, play in the bowl game, and then come back, uh, I think it's pretty impressive. It's, it's, that, that dude is a, a special uh, person. Not on social media. He's just a different kind of, kind of guy. And, and I'm okay with that. I can roll with that. I, I, I doubted him big time. I'm like, this is just a big dude. It's like one of those guys that like everyone's getting psyched, like Blake Bortles that everyone's getting psyched up about, and that's what I was on about. We wa- Toss and I sat down to watch that Stanford game, yeah. and we both looked at each other like halfway through like the, the first quarter, and I goes, "I'm wrong." Yeah, I was like, "I'm wrong." He, yeah. he made some throws. He can throw it, and he could run if he needs to. He could run if he needs to, and listen, he is bro. exactly what the quarterback position in the NFL is is, is leading to, right? Yeah, yeah. Maybe one more year of development, even more. I think with his, you know, who he reminds me of and where there could be a fit um, if they decide to part ways with Jared Goff is with what he does in the play action game, he would fit Sean McVay's offense like like a glove. So it'll be interesting because he does a, a tremendous job. Last year, they just couldn't figure out their identity. When they ran the football and allowed Justin Herbert to play action off that, 
they were unbelievable. They beat Washington. Uh, they put 30 points up on that defense, which, you know, the rest of the season, no one could put up any points against Washington. And they were able to do it. But then they just they, – they almost – they walked into their, their locker room after that game and just kind of said, you know what, uh, let's, let's try to be something completely different than we were this week. Let's go to Washington State a week later and not run the ball at all. You know, their identity is running the football. They have an unbelievable offensive line. Play action, allow him to throw the ball down the field to open – Open ass receivers, and that's where they're great. And so hopefully they'll they'll find that, and uh, and and we'll see. Because I think they're, you know, they're going to be the pick. They might get a top ten preseason uh, preseason ranking, which uh, I I don't know if they necessarily deserve it, but I, I bet you they may get it. Because wow. the Pac twelve is not that tough. No, it just isn't. It just straight up isn't anymore. Like <laughs> well, even... it's it's tough. Just everybody's tough, and they beat the hell out of one another. Yeah, and it's the, everyone's. It's pretty even playing field is a better way to put it. Probably you there isn't the drastic drop off to the very bottom of the say the Big Twelve. Yeah, just in comparison like, to the top or the SEC. Kansas, like right? Like no, there's not a Kansas team in the Pac-12. Yeah. Any team, Oregon State could be considered that, and they didn't find a way. They found a way to beat Colorado last year on the road, but this is two years in a row where they uh, they've only won one game. So Jonathan Smith took the new job there, and hopefully he can turn things around. But Oregon State might be the one team at the bottom. But they fight people each week. So yeah, it's not like game. Kansas where they get beat by 50 points. All of a sudden, Colorado with Chenault, who also I love. He's nasty. And the, that team's like in the, is ranked. You know, it doesn't like – one week, a diff, two different Pac-12 teams are ranked every every week, win, week, week in and week out. It's not and the they just AC, tear each other apart. It's not the ACC where it's Clemson and then like the rest of everybody. Right. You know? Well, then you have – but you have uh, um, you have somebody on the committee um, who – Frank Beamer was the head coach of Virginia Tech, ACC guy. He's on the committee. And you cannot deny the bias of the ACC this year. Clemson was number one, but for the longest time, you had NC State in there forever, Syracuse in there forever, Boston College in there forever. Syracuse, there was a there was Overrated. a There was a, definitely a bias there to making the ACC seem better than they were. Now they had the best team in the country. So arguably you could say, hey, well, they have the best team in the country. We're going to give them more credence. But the SEC, from you know, probably has the best conference. Um, Fought by the Big Twelve, I think, or the Big Ten. I mean, look, come on, Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan's, Michigan State, Wisconsin. It put puts up games. You know, Iowa. I would do not want to go play in Iowa. That is for damn sure. That's a dangerous place to play. You know what I'm saying? And Penn State, like all of a sudden, Penn State is one smart play call away. Like talk about like abandoning what you're doing in the in the no play action. <laughs> they blew I, that, I, I didn't they? What an amazing head coach. What do you think? It was like the Pete Carroll move, you know, when he just does not hand it off to Marshawn Lynch. It's like the reverse of that, honestly. What he did this past season. We were I'm a I'm an Ohio State fan. I grew up an Ohio State fan because my family went there. And we were watching that game. Remember that? And we were all like holding our – I was holding my head like, what are you – as a sports fan, like, what are you doing? I mean, but that game, for me, because you had been just – you were like, Haskins, is a, he's a good quarterback. That game, to me, was like, okay, this guy can play. And he can play at the next level. I mean, the way that he steps up in the pocket and just delivers a dime. He's got such a strong arm. But he's got a presence about him. He's not just, you know, he's not just chucking it down the The Rose field. Bowl for that did me uh, – I watched a bunch of his games, but the Rose Bowl for that um, – taught me more about Dwayne Haskins just what he did because I watched Washington all year long mm-hmm. being on here and their defense was top dollar the fact that they didn't have Taylor Rapp that day 
hurt, uh, hurt a lot. Senior um, safety man. Yeah. He's upperclassman safety. He's a big, and he's gonna be a second round pick. I probably around there. He may sneak into the first. You know, similarly to with a I forget it off the top of my head. The guy that the Steelers drafted, Edmonds. You know, no one saw him going in the first round, and he he snuck in Virginia, into, right? Yeah, he snuck into the the Steelers like twenty eight last year, and that could totally happen with Taylor Rapp. He's a good player, but yeah, like I mean, like you're saying, toss like in the NFL nowadays. Like gone are the days. Where it's like and like you're saying with the Chargers, Ryan. You know. You, you need more at the receiver. You can't just have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen cause, and Hunter Henry because gone are the days where you're hitting like four guys. Dwayne Haskins goes into every game, and you look at the stat sheet, he's hit like nine different receivers. It doesn't happen in the NFL. You don't have the roster size to do it. You yeah. can't carry nine receivers, first of all. Right? Yeah. You know? Six, maybe. But you'll look at but you'll, dude, you'll look at the Patriots, man. Brady's hit seven <clears throat> guys in a game. Breeze is hit like seven, eight guys, including, including the running backs and the tight ends, of oh, course. Yeah. But they've hit like, even Rivers. Eckler gets his touches. Both Williams, you know, Benjamin. Benjamin. He gets it out. That's how you you need that in the NFL. So, yeah, good stuff on there. And question number three, third down toss, if you're ready to rip it, my brother. All right, so obviously our show is called The Charity Stripe. Charity is very important to us. Um, We had Nate come on last week, and he talked about merging vets and players. Um, We'd love to just ask you a little bit about FIF um, and just have you kind of talk about that. Well, yeah, uh, Focus Intensity Foundation was something I used a lot when I was coaching. It was a turn of phrase. Uh, I always said quarterbacks had to have this focused intensity where a linebacker or offensive lineman, they just can be intense. Really doesn't, the focus doesn't necessarily always have to be there. They can just be running around like crazed dogs type of mentality. But there's a focused intensity that comes to playing the quarterback position. You have to be intense, but there has to be a narrowed focus for it. And so when I, um, uh, when I got out of prison, I was – I was searching for what I could do to be of service, and this was one of them. I wouldn't have been able to seek and get the help that I needed if the NFL didn't have grants that were available to me as a former player. And I don't want anybody ever not to be able to change their life for the better or accept or or, or try to get help just because they can't afford it. And so that's what we do. We raise money uh, for scholarships for people who can't afford substance abuse and mental health treatment. And our hope is that we can essentially and like literally save lives. And, and, and I think we're doing that. Mm-hmm. We watched your interview on Ellen today, which was amazing. Crazy story, by the way. You're watching her on the TV and it inspired you. She's great. I watch her all the time, you know. Um, but kind of going, you see guys kind of ha- like they'll fizzle out and they'll kind of go into the shadows, like, like a Marinovich type, you know what I'm saying? Or, or Russell. And for you to come out, you know, and go, you know what, I'm going to help. Like, what's your mindset there? And like, what's your, you know, what, what kind of gall does it take to be like, okay, I'm going to step back into the spotlight and make a difference? Well, I think it just, it, you remove your ego from it. Um, none of this has anything to do with me, right? I'm, it's, I'm just like, a, I'm a messenger. That's it. Um, this isn't about trying to make people think, oh, look how great Ryan's life is. That's not, that's not what it's for. This is about trying to be of service to another human being because we're all the same. And that just was a that was just a shift in thinking for me. I had to just, I it used to always be about me, everything, what other people thought of me, um, who saw me, what they were writing about me, all that stuff. And it just, um, when you finally accept it and remove everything from from yourself, remove all ego, uh, and have some humility around, you know, what has gone on, and knowing that hey, it was just a rough patch, even though a lot of people want to make it more than that. It's crazy. It's not. And Ellen's a perfect example of that, right? You know, she's had adversity like anybody else and she offers She came out of the closet as she's a comedian. She came out of the closet and everyone shunned her. Yeah. Shunned her. And, and people it, told her not to. And people told her not to. Her, and it, her reps, her agent, her manager, they told her not to. Yeah. 
Yeah. And uh, I remember my, my high school football coach told me um, after all this had gone down and I was, I was, I ran into him at a restaurant in my hometown after I'd been out of prison. And his advice to me was to give all my money away and to just, you know, you know, pretty much just go into hiding. That was his, that was his advice to me. And I looked at him and, and I knew immediately at the moment I was just like, you know, you're just, you have, you have no idea how to affect change, positive change in people, which is terrible since you're a high school football coach. <laughs> but that's what everyone would have wanted you to do almost. You know, Every, you know it was, Jay Glazer uh, did a, a special piece on me for Fox, and that was like, I never really heard those words before, but he said like, um, you know, everybody asked Ryan to just to go away and disappear. And then he said, and that's exactly what he did. And that's what I did for a while. And I, it's just not a life, right? My name is going to be associated uh, with football for the, the rest of my life. No matter what, whether I'm a success in life now or a failure in life now, it doesn't matter. It's always going to be there. So if it's going to be, why not we? Why don't we use it in a positive, healthy manner? And and that was the shift. And that was about three, oh, three and a half years ago. And what my life has become because of it has been unbelievable. You know, um, it, it's been it's been pretty darn special. I'm really really grateful for it. Man, I mean, it's amazing. I really think it's phenomenal. It's like it's a cool thing that we you know we researched in on because obviously we know you know about your playing career. We're gonna ask you know you know football clearly played amazingly well, and we're gonna ask you about that. But we we love charity here. I mean, we some of the videos we do are ridiculous. Like we'll do ridiculous videos. I went outside the Staples Center and I set the season record for charges taken. I literally had people charge me and ran me over. My chest is still <laughs> the videos. It's ridiculous. Nick and I went out and did it. But we, for every charge I took, we donated a dollar to charity. You know, and like that's what it's about. You know, there, there is, there. It's always a good connection in sports. I defy, I defy any human being out there to be of service to another human being and not have the most peaceful night of sleep that you've had. That you, it can't. I defy you to do it. It, it can't happen. When you remove yourself from the equation and make it about somebody else, there's just you don't have you don't have the problems. Mm-hmm. Everybody has life problems, but they're just they're not. Is, they're not as important, and you realize that it, it's not as serious, right? Because you're 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 doing something to help a fellow human being, and so all your listeners out there, you know, that's the best advice I can give. You know, I defy you to be of service to a human being on a on a day and not have the most peaceful night of sleep. I love that. Yeah, I love it too, and it's so easy for an athlete when the focus is probably been on you. You're probably the best player by far and away to ever come out of your high school, come out of your state. You know, and it's hard not to be like you know. I mean, like as like an actor, I was like one of the better actors. I went to a performing high school for arts, and I was one of the better actors to come out of there. And it's like so hard for me to like remove my ego from it, you ego, know, and not, and not be so pride. not yeah. be so about me and about myself when I go like a program at, at college for it, you know. And it's like, oh, like it takes practice. Like, it does, man. You to get to the pr- focus off you. It does. You it's have tough. to to, and it's about different things. Like you show up uh, in a room and you look people in the eye when they're talking to you, and you remember their name. These are these are little things that. I, I was on such a pedestal, and I just thought I was more important than everybody else because of what I did, because of the silly game. I thought I was a more important human being. So when it was all said and done, even though I wasn't, I still thought I was more important than everybody else, and I treated people as such. And that's been a significant change to, you know, interact with people that I work with now, and then and and hear through the second, uh, third party that 
they thought I was so personable and things like that. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't sound like me, right? Because that's not what I'm used to. Yeah. So it's it's a shift. It's a it's a 180 degree lifestyle change, and it's about removing yourself from the equation and making it about other people. And that's that's the best piece of advice I can give. Amazing. So we'll go to the fourth down. So our fourth question is always the same for every guest. Um, we're going to ask you your favorite sports memory. Um, I always try to guess what it is. So I have something in the back of my mind. I'm usually wrong. Like I was so wrong on Nate Boyers and couldn't have been happier. I was wrong on his. Um, but what is your favorite sports memory? My favorite sports memory is um, the 1997 Heisman Trophy ceremony. Um, I was a finalist with with Peyton Manning, Charles Woodson, Randy Moss. and Randy Moss. So three Hall of Famers, right, and me. I knew I wasn't going to win the award. I knew I wasn't going to win the award. So I, I my coach was there. My father was there. Um, I got to watch it all play out. Now, of course, it would have been great to win it, right? You have your Heisman Trophy winner, and you have the trophy. But, you know, Charles had to stay there and sign autographs and do press and pictures, and it was just bombarded. Peyton and his family had, like, rented out a restaurant to celebrate in, and it was – that had to have been uncomfortable. And then Randy was just a mess that night. He was he had terrible anxiety and was dealing with some problems. He wore these sunglasses the whole – um, whole Remember ceremony that? and it was just <sighs> straight cash. Yeah, he's and like, so he's like my favorite player. I so Coach Price and I, we went to Saturday Night Live, watched Jack Nicholson, and Helen Hunt host. Um, we then went to a East Side bar where all the former champions and ESPN personalities were there. I ended up bartending late into the night, and then when I came back into the downtown athletic club about three or four in the morning, there was a bunch of the old-time winners, former winners of the Heisman Trophy were all sitting around the, the piano in the old downtown athletic club before 9-11 happened. And, it was, um, and they were all singing karaoke at the piano. And right in the middle of it, I look, and there's my father, John Leaf, right in the middle singing these songs with his heroes. Uh, my father taught me everything I, I knew about sports. We talk about it. Uh, on his 60th birthday, people did a video, and they asked him what word encapsulizes um my father and everybody came back with espn it, he just is <laughs> a, amazing he's a sports nut he him and i talked about it at the at the breakfast table every morning in our whole lives and to see him in that moment meeting all his heroes in in and doing that at three in the morning in new york city where his son was just a finalist for the heisman trophy that that's still to this day the coolest thing that like my sports celebrity has ever afforded me that's amazing. That's awesome, man. It was cl- I was closer than I was to Nate's thing, by the way. I was going to say getting drafted ahead of Charles Woodson must have been sick. <laughs> I didn't even think about it, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that must have been freaking cool. <laughs> yeah, but that's a, that, what a group to be with. And that's amazing to have your father. I mean, that's kind of something I guess we all dream of in a situation as far as our careers go. I mean, I know my biggest thing is I want to get my dad a signed guitar by Bruce like hand signed by Bruce Springsteen because I've gone to so many shows with him. It's like what we grew up with together, that and sports. But I know that would mean something. So to have you and your dad and like walk in on that, you definitely didn't expect like, no, no. And he's probably with like the best, like the crazy. All those Notre Dame former winners. There was, I mean, there was Tim Brown's there. Tim Brown, Tony Dorsett. Yeah. um, All these great. Archie's probably. Barry Sanders. Did Archie win the Heisman? Twice. No, he didn't. Archie Griffith. Okay. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I was like, no, no, not Archie yeah. Manning. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Archie Griffin was there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a crew. It was, it was fun. It's <laughs> awesome, man. It was a crew, and 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 it was a w- wonderful night. Oh, it's amazing stuff right there. So we're gonna move on to the two minute drill real quick. So we're just gonna rapid fire answer questions and throw questions at you. Okay. 
All right. Two minutes starts now. <laughs> What's the Chargers record next year? Um, I say that they are 10 and 6. Okay. Favorite sports hero growing up? Terry Bradshaw. Why number 16? Uh, because uh, when the head coach laid out the jerseys out on the, um, on the uh, bleachers before our first game, um, and I went to get number 14, which is my father's number, some little punk freshman grabbed 14 first and uh, wouldn't give it back to me. And so 16 was the only one laying there, and that's the one I took. All right. <laughs> Favorite <laughs> sports movie? Uh, oh, Miracle. Great one. Josh, Love it. Josh does the miracle speech. Yeah. I'll show you. Um, favorite restaurant in LA? Um, it's a tough one. Yeah, Cactus Taqueria. Um, had it the other night. <laughs> did you? In that, Studio that, City? Uh, I had the one on in, the West Side? In Koreatown. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, for sure. They're, they're definitely my favorite. I'm a Mexican food guy, so here in LA, uh, that, that definitely is my cheat meal when I get the chance. <laughs> Love it. MJ or LeBron? I am Jay. Love that as well. Big argument between me and Josh. Well, it's that's you know that's that's also you know generationally. Yeah. So, you know Michael yeah. Jordan was everything to me. Yeah. Magic Johnson and Michael Jordan. Yeah, that's you know MJ was was my guy. So I love LeBron, but I mean it's a different world we're living in right now. And totally agree. It, just how football's changed, basketball's yeah. changed just as much. Yeah, he can never he could he can never be the greatest of all time because. You know he's 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 he doesn't it's not he doesn't encompass as much as Michael Jordan does in the, in the minds of people I think. Yeah. Favorite stadium you played in? Husky Stadium. Breeze or Rogers? Um. Oh, Drew. Brees, in terms of like yeah, if legacy, you had to, if you had to, yeah, Drew Breeze. Okay. If you had to start a team now, Breeze or Rogers? Aaron Rodgers. Okay. <laughs> Favorite pump up song? Um. Anything Petey Pablo does, I think, is a good pop-up nice. pop song for me. Yeah. <laughs> Who wins the Super Bowl first, the Chargers or the Rams? Uh, the Rams. Guilty Pleasure TV show. Guilty Pleasure TV show, huh? I'm a big CW guy. I was like, uh, you know, the Vampire Diaries. Oh, it's not. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, the originals. I watched that stuff. Wow. I know. I got made fun of like crazy by my fiance. It's amazing. Um, probably my guilty pleasure. Right, rightly so, I think. Yeah. yeah. No, it was rightly so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My guilty pleasure now. Um, I don't know what. Boyer said Anthony Bourdain, but that's not even a guilty pleasure show. It was a eh, answer. <laughs> yeah. Nate, Nate's got everything scripted. <laughs> no matter what he even's got even two minute like unscripted questions he's got scripted in his head um i, w- I want to answer this one true really really well uh let's i got a 16 month old so you know the guilty pleasure right now I, i'm gonna be honest i i'm kind of enjoying sesame street right now so timeless but, yeah, timeless yeah uh harry potter sorting house you know probably from age 13 to 36 i was probably you know, if the hat sat on me, it was Slytherin. But I, I think if the hat sat on me right now, I think it would it would it would scream out Gryffindor. Nice, dig it. Okay, last one. Dream team wide receiver crew: three wide receivers, one tight end. Um. Well, it's hard to 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 grab these three wide receivers. I had five of them in college. So my dream team was Chris Jackson, Kevin McKenzie, and. Sean McWashington were the three wide receivers and my tight end. Okay, I can move one to the tight end, so I'll move nine to tight end. Um, we had a we had a group called the Fab Five, 
Um, and I had five wide receivers in college that were badass. I think like three of them had ten plus touchdown catches that year. Dang. So who was the who was the fifth? Uh, the fifth guy was Sean Timms. Nice. So uh, I would probably have to make an exception and, and just drop the tight end out and play fi- and play five. No, more. you can you can have five. All right, That's easy answer. <laughs> Amazing. I love how you didn't go like Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. You went with your guys. Love that. Love what you go with what you know. I think the NFL is silly, but you know, that's just me. And people like to give me a hard time, like, yeah, because you were a bust leaf. But I just think it's it's I am bored with it, right? I don't watch it. Um I I I watch it for work. I watch yeah. college football. You know, I am up Those at six I'm up, games. I'm up at six AM. Saturday mornings, I'm watching college game day because I live on the West Coast. I can watch every single game, and I watch it until 11 o'clock on on Saturday nights. It's my day, and and my and my fiance gives me the day. She says it's 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 my day. She knows how much I enjoy it, um, and that's what I do. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, college football. If you look at the best games I've seen, other than that that Patriots Falcons Super Bowl, the best games I think I've seen in the last five, six, seven years. You got the Auburn FSU championship game. You got the Auburn Georgia. You know, SEC Championship, you got the, uh, the Iron Bowl again with Auburn. Auburn's been really playing some amazing games. But you go through all these games, and like college, like... I'll invest in the NFL in the playoffs, right? Yeah. But- I, my favorite weekend of the year is divisional um, is divisional playoff weekend. It's, it's good, my man. favorite. Saturday and Sunday, you know, two games. Both days. Each day. Yeah. For, you know, that's that's... That's my favorite football weekend of the year, always is. And usually the best eight teams are there. But also I've gotten the opportunity to, you know, in, in the broadcasting world now, you know, covering these guys. I got to cover the, the, the national semifinal between Notre Dame and, and Clemson. Then I got to cover the uh, um, national championship for ESPN um, for Alabama-Clemson game. So, I mean, I, those are the games I got to cover this year. I go down to the Super Bowl every year, and I work the Super Bowl for, for the week, and then I usually come home and watch it on TV. You know, I – the Super Bowl is the Super Bowl for everybody. You know, I'm not going to not watch it right. because my my team, you know, couldn't hold a three point lead in the fourth quarter of the NFC Championship, right? So mm-hmm. that's why I'm not going to boycott it. That's just not the way it's going to go for me. That's amazing. All right, well, Brian, amazing having you on the show, brother. Thank you for coming out, guys. Check out FIF, his charity. Check out MVP, of course, because he does work with them. Uh, check out his podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, the Chargers Podcast. Do you believe? believe. And, of course, to all the fans out there, swing on a full count, drag both feet inbounds, hit that puck, hit that putt, hit your PKs because they're free, and hit your free throws. Why, guys? Because they're free? Because they're free. Oh. We out you. We love you. See ya. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. 
Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.